Thank you, choir. Well, if you were here last Sunday for Easter, we uh, kicked off a brand new series uh, starting last Sunday uh, entitled Leverage. And uh, as I mentioned last week, we're going to be there in this series for about four weeks. So after today, two more to go. You're halfway home uh, after today. And, uh, and so Leverage is the title of the series that we're beginning. And kind of basically, if you were not here, you may have been out of town traveling or family somewhere, another city somewhere last Sunday. But uh, the, the whole con, really the, the concept of the, of the, the series is that there are times that, uh, that God gives leverage in ways that we cannot find anywhere else. We did a whole kind of big blown up illustration last, uh, last Sunday where uh, we demonstrated what leverage looks like. Basically, it's just a basic lever that allows us, if you've ever renovated a floor or anything like that, you've ever you know, kind of popped up a piece of tile off of your kitchen floor or bathroom floor, uh, you know what leverage is. It allows you to do more than you could have done on your own. And when you get on one end of a crowbar and you've got that fulcrum kind of in the middle and you, you, you get down on it, it enables you to do more. Uh, leverage creates the ability for you to get more out of, of, uh, uh, of a task than you would have gotten if you just used your own, your own simple strength. And so uh, the whole concept of leverage is what we're looking at, that God enables us to have leverage in our lives. When we go through difficult times, we go through challenges, there are times that God enables us to leverage those things for good. Basically, that we're able to experience good out of bad in a way that nobody else can as followers of Christ. And so this morning in our second message in this series, we're going to be walking through the New Testament. We're going to look at more passages than I typically do. A lot of times I like to deal with just maybe one or two passages on a, on a Sunday morning. Today we're going to look at a few extra, but we're going to have most all of them up on the overhead for you in just a few minutes. And uh, we're going to look at what leverage looks like today uh, based on the passages we're going to look at. So uh, glad you're here. Hey, let me ask you a question real quickly before we start. On a scale of 1 to 10, don't answer this out loud, just answer it in your own mind. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much of a worrier are you? All right, you get anxious, you get worried. How much of a worrier are you? You can only answer this for yourself. You can't answer it for the person sitting next to you if they happen to be your spouse or your child or whoever. You can only answer it for yourself. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how much of a worrier are you? One is that you know, this whole roof could collapse and you're not going to worry, you're going to be okay. You don't worry about anything. Ten would be you're kind of worried right now because you've got nothing to worry about. And so that really worries you. You're just really anxious. It's like, oh man, I can't think of anything. Uh, and so that would be a 10. That may be you. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how much of a worrier are you? you know, when you think about all the different details of life, we've got a lot of opportunity to worry, don't we? I mean, we? There are a lot of different opportunities for us to be anxious about stuff. For example, think about your job. All right, uh, you, uh, you may have a tendency to worry about if you're going to have that job next year. You may be worried about a promotion. You may have gotten a promotion and now are worried about getting a demotion because you don't like what you're doing now and you liked it when it was a lot easier with less responsibility. You may be looking for a job. In this economy, it is still a tough economy. You may be worried about whether or not you're going to ever find a job. You, you may be a parent. You're worried about your kids. You're worried about how your kids are going to turn out. You're worried because of the way your kids have turned out and you're worried you're worried about who they're going to be if they're going to spend time with kids that haven't turned out well you're just kind of worried about all this stuff you may be worried about finances you know is the money going to run out you're worried about whether or not you're going to have food in the pantry next week or the bills are going to get you know, get paid if the lights are going to get turned off if you're going to have money for rent all these different things I mean we get so anxious about we have a lot of opportunity to worry you may be single and you're worried and anxious about, am I ever going to meet the right one? Am I ever going to be the right one? You've know, you got different things going on in your life and it makes you anxious. You may be married and you're worried about your spouse and, and uh, just all the different dynamics of your marriage. See, the, the list is, is endless. And we have a real tendency, don't we, to really become anxious 
and to become worried because the world we live in is a hard world. The world we live in is a very, very difficult world. And yet the Bible speaks into that world and it gives us some things that we can really, really hang on to. So here, here's what I found about worry in my life. You probably already learned this as well. You don't need me to tell you. Here's what I found about worry. That worry, when you look at it kind of from the basic foundation, worry, um, worry does not rent, it owns. <laughs> Uh, my family and I, a while back, we, uh, we sold our house and we moved into a rental and we rented for about a year. And, uh, for that whole entire 12 month span, honestly, I don't believe that we ever hung one picture on the wall. We didn't put a nail hole in the wall. You know, I was, you know, just, if the kids did anything, you know, they sneeze, it's like, don't put a dent in the wall. You know, we wanted our deposit back. At least I did. And, uh, you know, that, that was, our, that wasn't our house. You know, we didn't own the house. It was somebody else's house. We rented that thing. We didn't treat it like our own. Here's, here's what, here's what worry and anxiety. Here's what they do. That whenever they, they crop up in your life, say it's finance related, cause all of us can relate to that. Say you've got, you know, some financial needs in your life, maybe a bill that came up you weren't expecting, you had to go to the hospital or whatever, you got these finance needs. Uh, that worry and that anxiety surrounding that circumstance, it's not going to rent from you, it's going to own you. It's not just going to kind of pop up every now and then, you know, when it's a good time. It's going to dominate you. And it's going to be that one worry, that one anxiety that's going to be there waiting when you wake up. It's going to be there when you lay your head down at night. All throughout the day, it's going to begin to kind of creep in. It's going to dominate your life. And what we find is, and studies back this up, but what we find just in living life is that worry and anxiety, ultimately, uh, they, they have ramifications in our lives that, that span the spectrum of who we are. I mean, there are social uh, uh, difficulties that come up when we are worried, when we're anxious. There are spiritual implications. There are physical, emotional, mental. Worry dominates. Anxiety dominates a person's life, and it is absolutely rampant, even in the lives of believers, and yet the good news is, is that Scripture speaks to it, and it says an awful lot about it. So here's what I want us to do this morning. We're going to look at a message entitled, Leveraging Peace from Turmoil. You may be in a place right now where you experience some of that turmoil. Uh, again, I've already given some examples, but there may be another example for you where your life is really just upside down and you don't sleep well at night, you can't get this one thing off of your mind, it is dominating you, your walk with God is suffering, your relationship with other people is suffering, your own uh, uh, level of joy is suffering, your quality of life is suffering. But the good thing is, is that God may not, and we're going to see this in, in some of the passages we're going to see, God may not change those circumstances for you. You may still have the same set of circumstances you have today. You may still have them a week from now, a month from now, who knows? But what God can do is he can give you the capacity to leverage those circumstances, not for turmoil and anxiety and worry, but ultimately for peace in your life. And you can, as a result of those same circumstances, come out closer to him, come out stronger as a follower of Christ, come out better as a person, and come out ultimately seeing God get glory for something you could have never ever done on your own. So this morning, I want to look at a couple of passages of Scripture. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to look at a couple of passages of Scripture in the New Testament. We're going to look at an example of a guy uh, out of the book of Acts who's going to kind of live out a lot of what we're going to look at in these couple of passages. And then I want to share with you at the end of the message that um, everything we look at today is not going to apply for some of you. There are some here that are not going to benefit from anything that I'm going to share over these next 15, 20 minutes or so. 
And so that's what we're going to begin to look at. So let's go ahead and begin to dive into Scripture here. Let's start in the book of Philippians. And before we read in Philippians, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, I want to give you a simple principle to hang on to. I hope you'll jot this down. If you've got a great memory, just remember it. And I want you to, to just hold on to this principle because it's, that's the principle we're going to sift through these passages of Scripture this morning. And the principle is this, that we leverage peace from turmoil. Ultimately, whenever we entrust to God what He has already promised, to control. That whenever we choose to entrust to God, we pack it up, we hand it over to Him, we let God handle it. When we entrust to God, not just suggest things to Him, but when we literally entrust circumstances to God, circumstances that He has already promised to control for us, whenever we do that, we're able to see our turmoil ultimately leveraged into peace. All right, so that's what we're going to sift through these scriptures this morning. So let's jump in, Philippians chapter 4. Let me give you a little bit of a background for the book of Philippians. Some of you may be brand new to reading your Bible. That is awesome. We have a lot of folks here that are right there, and I hope in the years to come that will always be the case, that you may be just brand new to scripture. You don't know where Philippians is. Uh, That's okay. We've got the passage in just a moment up on the overhead. If you don't have a Bible and you've come in this morning, and you want one, we've got some in the lobby desk out there. They're not fancy. You know, they're not leather-bound. You can't put them on eBay and make 60 bucks off of them. Yeah, they're just paperback. But we'd love for you to grab one. If you don't have a Bible and you want to start reading, then stop by the welcome lobby desk and just say, give me one of those, and they'll be glad to give you one until they run out. And then um, we'll order some more. So Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Paul, in the book of Philippians, Paul is the author. Greatest missionary the New Testament tells us of. He... Uh, lived life so far away from Christ. He, he loved God, but he wasn't so much into Jesus in his early days. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. Ultimately, the book of Acts tells us that Paul had a very uh, dramatic encounter with Christ to where he realized that Jesus indeed is God, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Savior. And Paul, ultimately, the book of Acts tells us, chose to lay down his sin and to invite Jesus to come in and take over. And, uh, and it was after that that Paul would be really the primary person God would use to introduce the gospel to that whole part of the world in the first century. And so Paul is a key figure in the New Testament. We find here that he, he's the one that God would use to write the book of Philippians. God wrote it through him. Well, Paul was in prison when he wrote Philippians because Paul, everywhere he went, would talk about Christ. Not everybody wanted to hear that. And there were, there were some who at times would persecute him or even imprison him. So here, when he's writing the book of Philippians, he's writing it from jail. He's locked up. He's in prison for his faithfulness to Jesus. And he writes for us this letter that's called the book of Philippians. Now, all of that is important, especially in light of what he's about to write here. And so let's go ahead and see what it says. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes, and he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not just a little fluffy suggestion God makes to us. This is a promise (laughs) that God makes to those who've committed their lives to Him. This is a promise we can bank on. You know, we can live our life as though it's always going to be true because it always will be. And so, so in the, these couple of verses, there are some things that are important. That, ver, that word anxious, if you could somehow, all of us become Greek scholars for a moment, and we could look at the Greek language in which the Bible was originally written in the New Testament, that word anxious is a really interesting word. It means to have a divided mind. It means to be pulled apart. Now, let me just ask you, if you have ever been worried over something, something minor or something major, if you've ever been worried, does that not capture that word, to have a divided mind, to be pulled apart? 
Because that is exactly what anxiety is when you think about it. I mean, for, for example, if you're worried, again, over finances, there are times where in the same hour, in the same 60-minute span of time, you are at your wit's end. You have no idea what you're going to do. You're pulling your hair out because you're worried about your money. And then somewhere in that next 60-minute span of time, everything's good. It's not on your mind. You know, life is fine. Let's go out to eat. Let's go shopping. Let's take vacation. You know, it's like you're, you're all over the map. And that's exactly what that word means. To be anxious means to be pulled apart. It means to have a divided mind. Paul says, God says through Paul, he says, be anxious for nothing. Don't, don't be that way, he says. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, that's important, he says, let your request be made known to God. He says, just bring it to God. And that sounds easier said than done. I understand that. I live in the same world that you do. I have the same, same moving parts as you do. But it's still true. He says, just, just take your request to God, he says. He says, do it with thanksgiving. Why is that important? I have three kids, three, six, and nine. Say, if, if, my, if any of my kids bring me something, and they say, Dad, uh, we need you to fix this. And we don't know how to do it, and we need you to fix it. Um, thanks. And then off they go to play. You know, when they say thanks, what are they saying? They're saying, you got it. That's exactly right. They're saying, we trust that you're going to get this done We'll be out playing, call us if you need us, <laughs> you know? And I think that's really interesting that it says that in that verse. It says, be anxious for nothing. Don't get pulled apart. Don't have a divided mind, whether it's finances, family, marriage, it, whatever. He says, but in everything, when you pray and you supplicate, <laughs> whatever that means. Yeah, by prayer and supplication, he says, you, you bring your request to God. Just bring it to him. And bring it with thanksgiving because when you say, God, by the way, thank you, that in itself shows that you are trusting him. You have hope in him. And so you bring all of that worry, all the anxiety, all those circumstances to him. And here's the result. Here's the trade-off, verse 7. He says, and the trade-off is, is that the peace of God, by the way, a peace that you cannot understand. And when your friends ask you, how are you so peaceful with everything going on around you? And, and you're, all you're going to say is, well, I don't know. I can't explain it. I've never been this way before. He says, that kind of peace that goes beyond all comprehension is going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word guard is a military term in the Greek language. It means to garrison. I mean, it means exactly what it says, but from a military perspective. So here's Paul. <laughs> he's, sitting, he's sitting in jail, right? He is chained up probably to some Roman guard. And uh, it, when, he's, when God is moving in his heart to write this part of Philippians, you know, I just wonder if Paul, when he's writing, and you know, he's writing what we have is verse 7, and the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will, let's see. I wonder if he kind of looked at that, that guard over there, you know, just kind of laughed. <laughs> It will guard, yeah, that's the perfect word, will guard your hearts and minds. You see, Paul understood. God knew that when he was trying to communicate, how does my peace operate? The word that captures it best is that it guards our hearts, guards our minds. And where anxiety and worry pull us apart, divide us, you know, it owns our lives. God says, you know what, I've got something to trade off. I've got peace, peace that you cannot understand peace that will garrison, that will blockade, that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So, so here's a quick question for you as you're sifting through some of this. Whatever it is that's dominating your life right now in regards to anxiety, worry, fear, whatever those things may be, have, have you really genuinely taken those things to God? Have you prayed? And I'm not trying to give the easy little Sunday school answer that says, oh, just pray about it and then, you know, just go on our way. But it is the crucial first step to where we have to come to that place where we throw our hands up and say, God, I cannot fix this. I cannot resolve this. I am entrusting. Thank you in advance. I am entrusting this 
to you to do with it what I can't. And so Philippians 4 tells us that we need to take all of that to God first in prayer. When we do that, he begins to leverage that turmoil for peace in our lives. Second passage I want you to see, John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus is talking with his disciples here. It's before he ultimately would be crucified. He says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. <laughs> in the world you'll have tribulation. See, a lot of people try to find peace in the world. They, they try to cover over the things that are owning their lives. They try to mask them. They try to replace them with a bunch of other stuff. It's kind of like a veneer. It covers for a while. It may mask it may soothe, it may comfort, but the world's ways do not bring lasting healing. The world's ways do not bring lasting peace. Jesus says, in the world, what you're going to have is tribulation. All right, we're all exhibit A for that, right? We've been there. He says, but take courage. I've overcome the world. In me, you can have peace. The tribulation that the world brings you, I can leverage that into peace if you'll bring it to me. So here's what we find when we put those two passages together. We find John 16 tells us, bring our anxiety, bring our worry, bring our trials, bring all, everything we've got, bring it to Jesus because he is the victor, right? He's the winner. He, he, he won. <laughs> He's never going to be defeated. And as we do that and we bring all that to him in prayer, then he replaces it with a peace that we can't understand that guards our hearts, that guards our minds ultimately in Christ. And so that's, that's kind of the summary of what those passages say. Now, now, let me just take a look at what this looks like in a person's life. Flip over with me, if you will, in your Bible to Acts chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible, again, we'll have this one on the overhead, but Acts chapter 12. So here's what all that looks like lived out in a person's life. You got Simon Peter, okay? Simon Peter, he's famous for denying Jesus three times. Simon Peter was kind of that guy who would put his mouth in motion before his brain was fully in gear, you know, we've all done that too. Simon Peter was very brash, he's very bold, he's very confident. He loved God, loved Jesus with all of his heart. He had a lot of growing to do, you know. And, and so when we, when we look in the book of Acts, chapter 12, we find that Simon Peter is now one of the primary people that God is using to see the early church begin to grow. Jesus has already come, he's already uh, died, he's already risen, he's already gone to heaven, and now the church is beginning to take root. Simon Peter, for the first uh, 12 chapters or so in Acts, was kind of one of the key players in all that that God used. So here, here's the deal. Simon Peter, when we get to Acts chapter 12, has been arrested, uh, again, because of his faithfulness to preach the gospel. He's been thrown in prison, he is being guarded there, and that's where we pick up. And so let's see what he's learned in regards to peace. Acts chapter 12 says, when he, that he is King Herod, who was uh, mean, wicked, nasty, didn't, uh, didn't love Jesus, and didn't love the people who loved Jesus. It says, when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him. So there's kind of that, that whole image again of, of, of soldiers guarding. This time it's Peter being guarded by four squads of soldiers, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Kind of cool that you get to see prayer come into it. Before Philippians was ever written, God's people are praying. They're taking their request to God. So they're praying for Peter that God would intervene. Verse 6 says, On the very night when Herod was about to bring him, Peter, forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door 
were watching over the prison. Okay, so Peter, <laughs> Peter is on lockdown. All right, he he's got the he's got the door guarded. He's between two soldiers. He's bound up with a couple of chains. Hey, Peter's going nowhere. He, you know, if he tried to escape, he's going nowhere. He is at the end of his rope. He's got nothing else he can do. More than likely, what Herod is planning to do, he had already killed James. If you read earlier in chapter 12, you find that. So James had already been martyred for his faith. Peter knew, you know what, my neck is the next on the line. Peter knew that uh, when he gets called out by Herod the next day, his life on this earth is done. And yet, here's what we find, that Peter is sleeping. Now, if this was your last night on the earth, all right, and your, your pillow is a piece of rock on the bottom of a, of a, of a jail cell, and you're, you're secure between two stinky, smelly guards, and uh, they're mean, nasty-looking guys, and you know that the, that the king is going to call you out tomorrow, and your life is going to be done. This is your last night on this earth. You're not getting steak, potatoes, fried shrimp, nothing else. They're not asking you what you want for your last meal. This is just it. All right? Are you going to be sleeping very well that night? Probably not. And yet here's Peter, knowing what was going to be coming the next day, knowing what was at stake, and it says in that circumstance that, that he ultimately was sleeping like a little baby. Now, how could he do that? Here's, here's why I think. The Bible doesn't tell us. Here's what I think. It's that the, in the book of John, at the very end of the book of John, the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when you get to the last chapter, chapter 21, uh, Peter had denied Jesus. Jesus then kind of comes back and he reinstates Peter. He tells Peter three times, feed my sheep. Some of you are familiar with that. But Jesus makes a statement to Peter at the end of John. You can chapter, check it out, chapter 21, verse 18. He tells Peter, he says, Peter, when you, when you were younger, you were able to lead yourself wherever you wanted to go. But when you get old... Others will lead you to where they want you to go. When you get old, he said. That was just a matter of weeks before this event. The Bible doesn't say it, but I have a suspicion that Peter was a smart man. He put two and two together. He was able to say, you know what? I'm not old now. Jesus told me a few weeks ago, when I get old, I got these guards King Herod, God's got my back. Good night. That's peace. That's a peace that you cannot explain. It's a peace that you cannot put your finger on. That's a peace that this world does not know how to offer. That's a peace that ultimately leverages our circumstances for good. It's a peace that only God can give. Trusting in the promises that God has already made to control our circumstances and finding solace there. That's the peace that only God can give. And we leverage our turmoil into peace whenever we entrust to God the very things He's already promised to control. So you may be thinking now, so what has He promised? We don't have time to go through all of them. Just read, read the Bible. <laughs> it's filled with a lot of them. But here's a couple for you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. What does it say? You've got it on the overhead. God promises to the believer, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. It's a promise. 
There is not one circumstance, no matter how bad, how hard, that you will ever face, that you will ever go through alone, God says, because I have made a commitment to you that I will not fall back on. Never will you be alone. Never will I desert you. Never will I bring you this far to leave you on a curbside. And I'll give you a whistle when it's time to go to heaven, but until then you're on your own. God says, I'm never going to do that. I'm going to walk with you through every single thing that you face. It's my promise to you. Never will I desert you. Never will I forsake you. John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus again is talking, and he talks about the Holy Spirit who would come. Look at what it says in John 16, verse 13. He says, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He'll not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. He'll disclose to you what's to come. In other words, when the believer today trusts their life to Christ, the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes to live within us. That's why we look at life differently as Christians. It's because of God living in us and the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised when he comes, he'll guide you. I mean, I've got, you've got my promise that I will guide you. I'll lead you in your life. The hard part is not whether I'll lead you. The hard part is, are you going to follow me? <laughs> Sometimes that's hard. But he says, I'll promise you, I'll guide you throughout your life. And if you follow me you're going to be just fine. And there are a thousand other promises that God gives in his word for us to bank on. And so we're able to, to hold to those or to cling to those. And as we do, we entrust to God whatever it is that is creating worry, anxiety, fear in us. We entrust that to God and we let him begin to handle it. Now, I made the comment at the very beginning of this message. I made the comment that, that everything I say this morning, there are some here that is not going to apply to at all. There's some here, seated here today, that everything I've said for this 25 minutes up to this point, it does not apply to you. And here's why. Because the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, 700 years before Jesus came, he made a statement that captures the way God operates in the lives of those who know him and those who don't. Look at what he says in the book of Isaiah. Notice this passage. It's key and it's crucial. Chapter 48, verse 22, God says, There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. So what is the Old Testament speaking of there when it speaks of, of the wicked? It's speaking of those who do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what that's speaking of. In other words, if we choose to be the master of our own life, if we choose to make the decision that I don't need a Lord, I don't need a Savior, I don't need a Messiah, I don't need Jesus, I'm just going to do fine on my own, I'll make the best of it, and I hope that God lets me in when I get there, but I'm not giving my life to, to Jesus, I'm not doing that, then what happens there is that when God sees you, He loves you immensely, and He will bless you, and I'm sure He already has, but He sees you as one characterized by your sin. And because God is holy, he cannot allow sin into heaven. It must be paid for. That's why Jesus came in the first place, to pay for it. And so when God sees the person who does not have a Savior in Jesus, what he sees is sin that characterizes them for who they are. God makes, this is so important, listen to this, God makes no obligation to the one who does not commit his or her life to him. There is no obligation. If you're here this morning and you choose, I'm not giving my life to Jesus, I'm choosing not to do that, God makes no obligation to you whatsoever. Everything he gives you is an act of grace. Your very breath, the one you just breathed, was given by grace. God is not obligated to anything in your life. But listen, but to the Christian, to the believer, who didn't get good enough to get to God, but who laid down sin and surrendered their life to Jesus, God makes a host of promises, and every one of them he's obligated to. 
in the life of the believer. Every single one of them. And if he falls back on any of those promises, he is a liar. And God is no liar. And so God says, there is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. So if you choose to kind of go your own way and you don't choose to surrender your life to Christ, the reality of the picture is that there really is no hope for peace because the world doesn't have it to give. You don't have it in and of yourself. And you're bankrupt without him. And so why not find peace, the peace that you need, not only with God, between you and him, but ultimately the peace that you need every day in the circumstances you face through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of my, I guess I've been accused in my life in preaching that a lot of my analogies are sports because I love sports. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so here's another one. <clears throat> you know, when you think back across the spectrum of, of, of sports. It doesn't matter what, what the sport is, basketball, football, baseball, throw hockey in there if you want to. I don't know anything about it, but it, whatever. When you look at that, there, there are dramatic moments in sports history, right? There are those moments, kind of the p- pinnacle mountaintop moments in sports history. You, know, you see the commercials, different, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, different products sometimes will you know, pull one of, those, one of those moments in and attach themselves to it because people remember those pinnacle moments in sports history. When they hit the game-winning shot with you know, one second on the clock, they threw the touchdown pass with no time left, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, home run at the bottom of the ninth to win the World Series. Those are mountaintop moments. But he, here's what I want you to think about for a second. That when you look at those moments, let's take basketball for a moment. Michael Jordan, I know he's, he goes back a few years, but everybody can relate to Michael Jordan. Uh, you think about him. Say you're in an arena, it's game seven of the NBA championship series, and it's game seven, and let's say the Bulls are down by, you know, by a point. And everybody in the arena is thinking, all right, we're done. We got to go 90, 94 feet in you know, three seconds. We're not going to win this game. All of our dreams have vanished. You got a whole arena filled. Honestly, some of the players as well, you know, filled with just this anxiety and worry. I don't know if we're going to do it. We've worked so hard. I don't know if we can win. You know, it's just all this anxiety and worry in there. And then you've got this one guy, wear number 23, his name's Michael Jordan, and he's the one guy on the floor saying, just give me the ball, right? Just give me the ball. And what happens is, is that the circumstances do not change. Nobody steps in and says, woo. All right, we changed the circumstances. Now the Bulls are up by 30 with three seconds to go. No, the circumstances are still the same. It's just that you've got most there filled with anxiety and worry, and you've got one who faces those circumstances with an attitude that says, I got this. And the result is a sports moment that people talk about for decades. And when you face your difficulties in your life, and you come to those times where you face circumstances that nobody else would want to go through, it may be financial, marital, family-related Whatever it may be, you've got your set of circumstances and your response to those circumstances is worry and anxiety and you're pulled apart and your mind's divided and you got no joy and you got no hope and life is miserable and everybody around you knows it. They just don't want to tell you, but you're making them miserable too, right? And that's what your response is. God may change the circumstances, but many times he does not change the circumstances. What he does is just say, I got it. And so just package it up, put the bow on top, present it to me, and go live the life I've given you. Entrust the worry, entrust the fear, entrust the anxiety, entrust the circumstances to me. I may change the circumstances and you'll praise me for it, or I may change you in the circumstances. And you'll be closer 
to me. You'll be stronger for me. I'll get glory, and I'll be molding you into the image of Christ all along the way. So, so here's the option. Whatever's on your mind right now that's got you anxious and worried and tor- torn apart, you can hang on to it if you want. Or you can realize that you can leverage those circumstances not for turmoil, but for peace when you entrust them all to a God <laughs> who for you as a Christian, a follower of Christ, has already promised to control it all. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Look at it on the overhead as we close. It's a verse that you're familiar with. We know that God causes all things, all things to work together for good to a very select group of people, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So whatever you're facing, I would encourage you, just bundle it up, kick it to him, and sleep good tonight because he's got your back. And if you don't know him, (laughs) maybe the circumstances have been allowed in your life to create the backdrop against which you will come to trust him for the first time through a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. God, you know, it's it's a set of verses like the ones we've read today that help us to understand that when we go through the hard times, how a person can look back and even thank you for them and to see that you did good as a result. And so, Lord, by faith, we thank you even for the challenges that we face. They're not always easy and they're certainly not enjoyable. But, Lord, you are able to leverage those circumstances for good because when we trust you, Lord, what we find is that you are trustworthy, you are faithful, you are good, and you are for us. And so, Lord, I pray for every Christian here that that would be our mindset when we face times that tend to result in anxiety and worry, that, Lord, that we would just, we wouldn't let it own us. God, that we would, we would just kick it to you knowing that you're in control. And, Lord, for those who don't know you today, Lord, I pray that that right where they sit this morning, that they would understand the greatest truth in all of history, that Jesus Christ, God himself, came to pay for their sin. And they don't have to get good enough to get to you. They don't have to come to church for another five weeks to get to you. Lord, right where they sit today, if they're only willing to confess that Jesus is God, that he died and rose, and that they have sin that needs to be forgiven, if they're willing to just put that sin aside now and to begin to pursue you and to even invite Jesus to come in and to forgive and to take over their life. Lord, I pray that people all over this place today that have never done that would do that with an authentic, genuine heart and in so doing, coming to know you and your plan for their life for the very first time. And so, Lord, bless the decisions we make. These are some big ones here in these next few moments. And so bless them, we pray. We want to get it right. Help us to do that as we follow you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.